Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Well, my name is Cleve Francis. I'm a, I guess, scientist, musician. <laughs> Tomorrow won't be like any other day. Today, I gave my heart away. I'm a, a cardiologist, but I'm also a musician. I've been that since I was a kid in back in Louisiana and I've stayed with both of these things I you know I went on and finished my education but I also kept my music going at every phase of my life well you know I tell people all the time uh, writing music and creating music is like giving birth to a baby uh-huh. it, it, it has a life of its own after a while you take care of it and you mix it well and you, you write it well and, and once you set it out there it has a life of its own so I you know, 50 years ago, I wrote that song, and it's alive today and pertinent to people. And that's the way, you know, I, I try to deal with timeless music, music that's always going to be relevant to where somebody else is. Oh, yeah. I'll always say the thing she wants to hear. And I'll be contented with having her near So be gone yesterday's sorrows And all you proclaim And make room for tomorrow And the joy it'll bring Hear me now Greetings, everybody. You're tuned in to the show on the road. I'm Z Lupitan, and as you can tell, I kind of lost my voice this week, so I'm going to keep it brief. It is Black History Month, and I can't think of a more perfect person to talk to than Cleve Francis, who in the 60s started writing his own folk music, which as a black artist did not get heard maybe until now. 
His amazing compilation, Beyond the Willow Tree, has totally blew my mind, and uh, I think you're going to love it too. He also broke through in Nashville as a mainstream country artist, which was unheard of in the early 90s. Please listen to his story. He has so much to say, so much wisdom, and if you have a bad heart in Virginia, you can go see him and get fixed. Okay, here he is now, Cleve Francis. I think there takes a certain uh, stubbornness and maybe obsessiveness to uh, keep doing something um, even when a dream maybe seems to have passed you by, right? When you've devoted yourself to, to helping people with heart issues, you have a thriving practice, um, and yet um, a lot of folks don't realize that, you know, this guy was in the big time in Nashville for a few years. Uh, yes. And where I learned about you um, was this beautiful uh, reissued um, deluxe folk record uh, called Beyond the Willow Tree. Um, that's, as you mentioned when we were talking earlier, it's over 50 years old, and yet it feels just like exactly what I need <laughs> right now. Your voice is just um, this beautiful... Uh, storytelling conduit and um, you bring this to the world now and that's and that's what I think is so beautiful about the digital world we're in it's messy and it's uh, tough for artists to make it but you also get to discover lost gems uh, from living artists like yourself that I would never yeah. be able to find otherwise oh, When they are never around to help you No, will you need them Oh, Lord. And a lot of it was recorded when you were a medical student at William & Mary, right? In Williamsburg? No, I, I was a graduate student. Okay. Yeah, I went to the Medical College of Virginia for my doctorate in medicine, but I was a graduate student in biology, so I wasn't even a doctor yet I was you know I was singing on the street and, and <laughs> was a street musician and uh, people actually one of my uh, best friend who was a college professor at William and Mary actually raised money used some of his own money and raised money from some of his colleagues to make that recording I, I didn't have the funds to, I didn't have the funds to do the recording and they he said no you, you've got to record this and and so I recorded and I left William and Mary, went on to medical school and, you know, sold a few copies to my classmates. But, you know, we got about 250 copies made. But, you know, it was incredible. You know, African-American artists didn't get the chance to be heard 
as a storytellers, as folk musicians, it would had to be, you know, rock and roll or funk or, or pop or R&B, or they'd sort of would get lost. I mean, Bill Withers yeah. maybe might be one of the only ones who only could one stop. Or two, yeah. He sat on the Rich, stool with his acoustic guitar, you know. Richie Havens. Right. Uh, yeah, you know, because we they actually somebody actually sent this record out to, to you know, to the Electra and Atlantic, all these big folk mm-hmm. uh, companies, and they, you know, I have the letters. They all rejected. Well, you know, we, we have no use for this at this time. And then yet, you know, some of these younger folk reviewing it now think that it was on par with some of the other stuff that was out there, but they didn't accept that, you know, from black artists. When you talk about soul folk, I think is the genre that you uh, are trying to pen, which I love. Um, yeah. uh, what does that mean to you? Well, it's 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 rooted in, you know, B.B. King, Sam Cooke, <laughs> The uh-huh. dictations, James Brown, and gospel music, Mahalia Jackson, and it's all those those soul runs, you know. It's like, uh, I, you know, if you listen to Peter Paul and Mary, and you listen uh-huh. to, you you see it's it's sort of a clinkier sound, or even like country music, you know, it's like it has a more nasal uh, sound. This is like from the right out of the gospel church. Right. And, and it's and it's about the the black experience. I was saying this these the songs that I did write was from that, you know. And even when I sang both sides now and uh, you know some of the folks on, I, I gave it that same sort of a gospel feel to it. <laughs> and ice cream castles in the air and feathered canyons everywhere. I looked at clouds that way, but now they only block the sun. They rain and snow on everyone. So many things I would have done, but clouds got in my way. I've looked at clouds from both sides now, from up and down. And still somehow It's clouds, illusions I recall I really don't know clouds At all And it's beautiful, I mean um, the Yeah, the, jo- the Joni Mitchell song is just gorgeous And um, it's amazing how These simple recordings from the late 60s uh, maybe I'm biased, but if I could get in a time machine, I would just go back to about 66 to 70, maybe specifically 68 and 69. It just felt like magic was being recorded everywhere all the time. Like there's this special um, socially conscious feeling, you know, that there's hope that, you know, the civil rights movement is taking hold finally. But uh, the softness in which you interpret some of these covers it's you know little green apples is another example the uh oc smith hit from 68 it's like it's a completely new song in your in your voice that um is should have been heard in a different way you know oh i wake up in the morning with my hair down in my eyes and she says hi And I stumble to the breakfast table 
See the kids going off to school goodbye. She reaches out, takes my hand, squeezing and saying, How you feeling, hon? And I look across a smile and lips that warm my heart. And I see my morning sun. And if that's not loving me, all I've got to say, oh God, give me the little green apples. It don't rain in Indianapolis in the summertime. That whole thing is recorded with just three instruments a bass, a, a, a rhythm guitar. And, and you know, and a lead guitar, and it was it was as though you were in the club, you know, in the coffee house. You know? so right. I, I've been to Nashville with the, you know, twenty four, forty eight track studios and, yeah. and the whole thing, and it's you know it, it it works. But back then, this stuff also worked. But this was about as closest to what you would hear if you actually heard the artist in person. You know, you this was this was like a live performance on these recordings. Where were you recording it specifically in a little studio in Williamsburg? No, there was a, a Norfolk Sound Studios. We found a studio in Norfolk and one in Richmond. And the guy, uh, you know, he had a little tiny studio, and we, it was tapes, what <laughs> the digital recordings, and everybody was hooked up to a mic. And so th this was recorded in real time. It was not like I came back and did my vocals later. I mean, just yeah. did all this in one setting. So. You know, the words and the feelings were there. You know, and I, I wasn't reading lyric. I didn't have a lyric sheet. I had written these songs and I knew these songs. And I was closed my eyes and would just would, would, was singing it. Well, the earnestness, the, the feeling that you really care about these songs really shines, you know. Thank you. Um, especially in the last few days here in L.A. where it's been torrential uh, storms. I kept listening to that Gordon Lightfoot cover, Early Morning Rain. It just like oh, yeah. felt like the soundtrack to our last few weeks here. It just felt so right. Well, I did. I did a song called Rain, the Jose Feliciano's Rain. So you might want to play that one. I know there's uh, multiple rain songs on that record. In the early morning rain With the dollar in And my pockets full of sand. Everyone, everyone should listen to this Beyond the Willow Tree compilation. It's just my favorite record I've discovered this year so far. So, um, but let's go back to your your Nashville period because there's some fun stuff there. You know, it's definitely big and sparkling and 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 uh, much more polished, which sometimes yeah. is not a good thing. <laughs> but. I love that song "Walking." I think it's really fun, man. I think it, it well, felt walking. like like something that again could be a throwback that that Garth Brooks '90s sound, which is kind of coming back now. I think a lot of people would would receive that right now. Well, "Walking" was a great song written by Will Robinson, and we really thought that that song would would give me uh, entree into the Nashville country music. But you know, I was fighting a lot of other stuff other than you know just being a musician when i went to nashville so 
but that song is is now in the African American Museum of History and Culture in Washington D.C. in the country music section as part of Black Heritage. So I'm very proud of that. Always a daylight running behind time, right beneath the red lights, wearing on my mind, losing the rat race. I need a little change. Yeah, so that record came out in 93. You had Tourist in Paradise, 92. Um, right. And you you received, obviously, um, some pushback, but also a lot of folks like Garth Brooks and other people, I think, were very kind to you and I think saw that you could really stand on your own in this uh, very cutthroat world. Right. Yeah, I, I, I thought, I, you know, uh, Jimmy Bowen, who signed me to Capitol, thought I could, and but I just never could convince uh, country radio to play my music, you know. And so, it, it, like I said, you give birth to these songs. Uh, people are now discovering my music now, long after I've, I've gone. And that's one of the good things about digital and putting it up there. You know, it's coming back. People are like, God, I didn't know you did this. I didn't, you know. So it's a lot of good stuff that will be forever available. You know. Let's go back to your upbringing in uh, Louisiana. What What's the town that you were born in? Jennings, Louisiana, which is uh, in Acadiana. It's near between Lake Charles and Lafayette, where the Zydeco people come from. And it's it, that whole area was settled by uh, French Canadians. Uh, they're called Cajun. So they speak a little French and there's some Haitian people there and uh, crawfish and gumbo and good food and a lot of blues and jazz and gospel and country music in that in that area. So I grew up there in a you know completely um, segregated environment and you know taught myself to play the guitar and uh, decided that I wanted to not pick the guitar, but I wanted to you know accompany myself and I started writing songs. You you actually tried to construct a guitar out of like a cigar box and, and my, my and, father smoked uh, King Edward cigars and, and these boxes right. you know there you can you can run a car over them so I took that and made a body of the guitar and p- put a piece of wood as the neck and used my mother's uh, window screen wire for strings and I did that for about a year or so I guess my mother decided I was destroying the house and she <laughs> decided to save money to buy a guitar. And I, I always tell the story. She's she saved quarters in a jar for a year wow. to make a down payment on a twenty five dollar guitar, and bought that on credit, you know. And so she wanted me to have that, and she said, you know, if your grades fall, I'm going to take this from you. So <laughs> that that might be why I ended up being a ended up being a doctor, so I could maybe play keep playing my guitar. What was the music that your parents were listening to when you were growing up? Well, they were listening. My father's favorite singer was Hank Williams. I mean, he loved Hank Williams, you know. And mm. but they were listening to James Brown. They were listening to BB King. Uh, we we were a very religious family, so they listened to a lot of gospel music. Ray Charles was like with the Five Blind Boys. He wasn't on his own at that point, and mm. a lot of Sam Cooke uh, music. You know, Jerry Butler. Uh, it, it was incredible. 
I did that drive once, you know, basically from New Orleans, then up through Mississippi and, uh, you know, Arkansas. It's insane the amount of talent from both black and white artists that came from that, you know, up through Memphis. I mean, it's just frightening how fertile that area was of people just creating the music that is listened to around the world that I think is maybe the bedrock of what american music is blues soul rock and roll um but it, you know it, it comes from uh, a bit of suffering you know you, yeah you're in, you're in suffering i know the the song i wrote the willow tree which really caught people's eye was you know whenever i had anything bother me i would just sit under this giant willow and and with my guitar and write songs and think about you know, my own life and, but it, it was always a struggle and, you, and that's where some of the greatest music came from is the struggle of the deep South and the poor and, and country people, black or white. I mean, you're in the same struggle, you have the same, you know, hopes and fears, you know, for your, uh, for your family. And uh, that's where that music comes from. I mean, your trajectory from that environment to you know, having a cardiology practice is is pretty unique, right? I mean, and being a country artist, you know, this double life in a way. But um, I can't imagine there were many folks that you looked up to that you saw that were doctors, no. you know. Now, as a matter of fact, I saw the first doctor I ever saw was in, I was at Southern University in Baton Rouge in student health. And I went in there and I saw this older black doctor actually actually had gone to Howard University, I think, in Washington, D.C., and I just was totally amazed. I, I had no idea you could even become that, and I actually, that next week, I changed my major to <laughs> to, uh, to to pre-medical wow. biology, and I decided at that point that's where I was going to go, and, and luckily, one of the courses that we had to take was humanities, and the head of the music department took it, and a guy by the name of uh, Dr. Hugh Perkins. And he said, you guys have come to this university to get something, but what did you bring us? And he said, I'm going to give you all 15 minutes. If you're a writer or you're a musician, I want you to come to my office and tell me what you do. And I brought my little guitar that with my mother had brought me reluctantly and uh, played some songs for him. And Matter of fact, he he canceled the rest of his day. He told his secretary to get a tape recorder, and he, I was in there, you know, maybe almost twenty four hours. And uh, he said, "You're singing folk music," and he said, "I hope you don't give this up." And he, I promised him that I wouldn't, and and that's why when I got to William Mary, I was I was took my guitar because I I had been vetted by this great professor. I know it's like in a another universe, maybe 
you would have been in the Greenwich Village scene, you know. Yes. Um, and the gaslight with Bob Dylan and and Ramblin' Jack Elliott and your life almost could have gone in this totally different direction. And yet, you know, I think um, what you've done obviously in your medical practice and keeping your music is, is doubly important maybe. And sometimes uh, one dream fading out is, is not a bad thing in a way. But yeah, you know, I, I never set out like from Louisiana said, I'm going to be a musician. I guess I could have, but you know, if you're poor and you come from that kind of background and you have the opportunity, uh, you want more assurance. You know, if I spend four years doing this, I'm going to get a medical degree. If I spend two years doing this, I'm going to get a master's degree. And uh, and and what I did, I was I I was able to support my own music, and I I wasn't dependent on anybody else to you know, support it. So I was able right. to support, uh, make my own recordings that actually serve as an addition for me to get a record deal. So I never really went to Nashville knocking on any doors. I mean, they actually contacted me after they saw my video, uh, Love Light video on CMT. Yeah, you financed your own video. Uh, I mean, that's that's a pretty indie rock move in a way. You know, it's like, yeah, like, people now are used to you know we have to make our own stuff and and try to get it out there um but you kind of like yeah came from the side door into the country music establishment and they had to pay attention because it was like you yeah, know, you know I've, I've, an I've interesting like, video i felt like i was doing some uh some really good music in that song love light was a you know was a great song and it was a great video so i actually flew to nashville and met with the people at CMT and they told me, well, we normally don't play independent videos here, at, but this one is so good, we're gonna see what happens. So when they, they put it on CMT, I mean, it went, it got into the top 10. That's when, you know, like 19 million people writing in. And so I was in the same rotation with Garth Brooks, Vince Gill and Reba McIntyre. And so that's when they said, well, who is this guy? You know. <laughs> black guy with his cowboy hat on so I they they contact me so that you know got my record deal in their first storm clouds whilst away their love vows and left them standing like total strangers called Yeah, the other song that I I was loving was uh, "Traveling Man," which is off like Love Light. And uh, you know, I'm not sure if you've ever thought of this, but I feel like you also could have been on a tour with like Jimmy Buffett and like Willie yeah. Nelson. You know, it's like there's definitely this sort of tropical good time feeling, uh, which maybe again like didn't fit in that Southern boy vibe, but it felt it felt feels really good like to listen to I could, you know what I, I said i i was almost a chameleon when it came to music i studied it so much and i heard the, some of the i think the greatest artists i without imitating i could do it all i mean i was like one of those artists i think that i could do uh, rock blues folk and um 
I guess that's I was I may have been ahead of my time at that time because you know being black out of the category out of the you know so I was out there and I I think people are beginning to look at my work of music and being to see uh, that I was a, a a unique artist in in that sense and maybe maybe before my time. In that song, Traveling Man, you talk about, you know, you talk about walking on the sands of Waikiki. Oh, um, yeah. Is there a, a certain place you travel to that you could see, you know, moving one day if you ever actually fully retire? <laughs> well, if I totally retired, I'd probably move to Italy. <laughs> All right. There you go. I love I love uh, Italy, uh, but I probably live there. But I was a big fan of the Everly Brothers, man. I was like, there was nobody... Matter of fact, when I got to college, I was like, I was a big Beatles fan, and you know, it, it was an all-black college, and I was like scared to tell people that I was in Beatles. <laughs> so one of my classmates asked me, said, "What do you think of the Beatles?" I said, "I like them." So he said, "I like them too." So we got to be pretty good buddies, you know. And you, yeah. you, you had to be into James Brown and the Temptations, and right. uh, and I, I've always been out of category, you know. Like when I went to Nashville, people were like, "How did you get into country music?" Or, you know, black people ask me, "How are you into country music?" I, I'm from the country. I mean, you, you need to go to yeah. Jennings and see what that is, you know. And so, I did. I never let these uh, categories, you know, stop me from loving music. It, music is magic, so I like. I, I loved it all. To let her into your heart, then you can start to make it better. Hate you. Don't be afraid You were made To go out and get her And the minute You let her under your skin Then you'll begin To make it better. When you treat your patients now um, Do you ever Recommend music to them As part of like therapy or part of treatment well most of most of my patients know about my music career so they all they all they all have my music you know and and uh, they come to my concerts and they you know and, and that's that's been an interesting thing too i was wondering how people trust you and trust you with their lives and also follow you as a musician as well you know and and that, that's always because but when i'm doing my music i'm totally into it when i'm doing my cardiology i'm totally into it so and i think both are life-saving genres you know uh you know you can save a man's life but if you if you take away art music and paintings what, what have you got you know so I, I i would you know give them the whole package actually yeah when i first moved to la the doctor that i had uh he was also a pedal steel player and a, and a slide guitar player. And oh, I yeah. saw these signed pictures of like, you know, the Rolling Stones and people <laughs> on his wall at the office in Santa Monica. And I was like, are you a musician? He's like, yeah. And we actually ended up like jamming a few times, oh, you know, yeah. like at his like 
you know, back shed in, in his uh, compound up in Bel Air. You know, it's pretty funny. You know, so, I had a patient of mine who uh, one of her last uh, wishes was she she was dying of, um, I guess, cancer and heart failure. But I had a show at the Birdsmere in Alexandria, Virginia, and she made her friends call an ambulance in a hospital bed and bring her into the venue. Oh man. And she was, she, and she was only able to stay the first half. And I just, the last thing I remember her alive, she's waving as she's being rolled out of the venue. Wow. I mean, it was that kind of commitment. I mean, I, I love it. When you, you know, covered subjects like uh, Martin Luther King and his fall, you know, in right. that song ballad of Martin Luther King, did you feel like you were part of the civil rights movement through music or was it more uh, in interpreting the time just as an artist? No, I was part of it. You know, actually I graduated from high school in 1963 and that was the time they had the March on Washington. And you have to realize if you're from Jennings, Louisiana and you're black, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you graduate from high school, high school sort of protects you you know, you're there, and but once you finish, you know, you're out there in, in the world. Either you're going to go back to uh, pruning trees and picking up trash or join the military, or you're going to go on with your career. And, and there's no financial support. There's no nothing. And I was pretty much a fan of Dr. King, who was, was opening the way. And uh, once I got in school, I never got out. I mean, because, you know, his, the, his struggle was getting us the opportunity to attend these schools, but somebody had to be ready to attend them when they opened the doors, you know, and I was going to be one of those people. And so I didn't, you know, go out. I wasn't a marcher or nothing like that, but I was fulfilling the dream of Dr. King uh, going to finish college, going to the College of William and Mary. I was the first black graduate student hmm. to set foot on the campus. And I was the uh, one of the two blacks in my medical school class and the first cardiology fellow at the George Washington University. So I was paving, you know, those doors that were open. So Martin Luther King's was very important to me. So I've written several songs on Dr. King. And maybe he was like Moses Who led the children to the promised land But who could not go there himself And stood with the rod in his hand And if we are like the children of Israel, we are grieved, but we must go on to inhabit God's promise, though the journey has been weary and long. I can't even imagine what it would have felt like seeing not just Martin, but all these people cut down in their uh, prime as they were trying to change the world. I mean, that time was so fraught with both hope and this sliding back, this whiplash effect of the, you know, white society tearing well, progress you know, if you, backwards. If you look at from from slavery, I mean, when, when blacks came over in, uh, you know, 1619 in Jamestown, and, you know, we we were just regarded above a common beast. I mean, we weren't, you know, right. like a dog or a cat or a cow. And and to 
you know, have been given your freedom and taken back during the, you know, Jim Crow, and then to be denied, you know, to vote, denied going into schools. You know, I there were only two schools I could attend when I left Louisiana it was Gramlin College and Southern University. It was illegal to go to LSU. Uh, so you're fighting against those kind of things, like with your hand behind your back, you know, and, and, uh, but I hope that my life has been a illustration of what you can do if you get focused, you know, and, and you can be an artist, you can be a doctor. And I, I speak to kids now and I, I, I hit a program called dream big, you know, here in Northern Virginia, we were trying to say like, okay, I came from the same background. I mean, you have to do this. Like, you got to set your GPS at success. <laughs> mm. And no matter which where you go, the GPS, you know, you pu push on the button, it always will redirect you back in the direction you should be going in. And I did that when I went to country music. I did that for my whole career. And we'll continue to do that. But I think it also takes some balls and some ego, right, to be the person that you are saying, I'm going to be the first guy here. Right. I'm going to be the person to break down the door. I'm going to finance this music video myself. I'm going to uh, be a, a country artist, a doctor where I didn't see anybody before me doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right. I think you have to have the confidence in yourself, your in your own abilities to really do that. Well, I have to give that to my mother. My mother uh, uh, was a lady by the name of Mary Francis who had, you know, more balls than anybody. <laughs> she was <laughs> she was my mentor. And she said, you know, you don't really let anybody determine what you're going to be. You know, mm. you, can't, you can't be everything. But if you decide on something, this is let people know this is you're coming through. Move out my way if you ever got to go around you. And so I felt safe. I, I think my mother had instilled an ego in me and my five sisters, you know, that we were somebody, we were important, we were smart. And, uh, you know, you fighting, a, you like, uh, like salmon swimming against the current, but, you know, you, but, you know, you're, you're only going to get one life and you can't wait in line for people to say, okay, not this year, next, next year. And, and, you know, every year you get older. So I figured what I'm going to do, no, there was a point where my voice was gonna was gonna fade, and if I listened to the people in Nashville or whatever, I never would sing again. You know, so I was like, hey, right. you know, I, people people come in. I finance it myself, uh, and it turns out that I I am and you know a bona fide artist. You know, here and uh, overseas, I also had fans in England and Scotland, and that cover uh, getting ready for tomorrow also feels like you see the the whole world ahead of you still which is really beautiful yes. you know but you, you know the thing with me i i never came out an angry man of all the stuff that has happened to me and my family and my mother was very adamant about us not being angry because you know being angry and hostile can you know take away your forward movement might mm. get yourself in trouble and i always felt and that's why I was glad I went into medicine because I see human beings as all the same they're just covered with different skin mm. but underneath I can see I know what it looks like I know what your heart looks like I know what you you know take the skin off I know what it looks like and it's basically all the same and uh, uh, that's what I've proven you know and uh, I love people and I, I, I never take sides and you know 
you can believe politically what you want to, you can be of different religion, race, but we're all basically the same. What did your father do when you were growing up? He was a common laborer. He was, you know, he'd wait at the railroad track for people to whistle to him to work for a day as day labor. Uh, my parents, between them, didn't have a fifth grade education. They, they, had, mm. they were sharecroppers and they had to stop school and pick cotton and you know, when the crops were in. And so they were adamant about us getting an education, man. We were. <laughs> You, education will set you free. This is this is how you get freedom, and that's true. I wouldn't I wouldn't have produced any music had I not been educated. Well, it's hard to believe that there are folks, you know, who are my parents' age, you know, people who grew up in the '50s and '60s, who have a first-person account of the level of segregation that still existed, especially in the South. It feels oh, yeah. like when we talk about it, oh, it's like a, it's like another time way back in the, uh, in the olden days. It's like this is your childhood, you know. This is something I that you experienced up, every you, day. You were, you were on one side of the track, and uh, actually, I walked in a place once to get a, uh, some matches. I asked for, and I got knocked out because I, I didn't see the, you know, uh, white only sign, and, and um, you know, you couldn't go to the movie theater, you, you know. You couldn't drink at uh, fountains. And, and actually, being a doctor, it was interesting because when I was a kid, you couldn't go into a doctor's office. And we couldn't even use the local hospital that was in our town. We had to go 44 miles away if you're black to get treated. So messed up. Yeah, that was. and uh, But, you know, I, I, I formed an interracial uh multicultural practice so my practice had blacks white jews muslims in it so very successful in all of virginia so i was able to accomplish that as well i uh always remember the story that my grandfather uh who's jewish told me about you know he was a brilliant guy who survived polio he was you know basically told he was never going to walk again he somehow got out of it and uh, wanted to be an aeronautical engineer working in the space program and all that. And he just was dead set on, I'm going to MIT. You know, it's where all yeah. the b best uh, space scientists come out of. And they're like, well, we'd love to have you, but there's a Jewish quota. There's, you can't come, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so if I, if that was me, I would say, well, screw you. I'll go to Harvard or something. And he goes, no, no, I just, I went to NYU for a year and then transferred in. That's right. Yeah, you you know you I'm only like, got what? one. Why? Because he was like man, because it was the best. Life. You got one life to live, man. You can't and and these these uh, prejudices and biases will lock you down. I there's a lot of I'm sure there's a lot of musicians that we'll never hear of. They just never stuck it out. Luckily, I, there there'll be some accounting of Cleve Francis's music, you know, <laughs> when I when I'm gone. So. It's like that story where Alan Lomax goes down to, you know, the farm where Muddy Waters, McKinley Morganfield is working, and he had never heard the sound of his own voice in a recorded medium, right? And he, like, played it back to him, and he was like, well, yeah, this is pretty good. I'm going <laughs> to 
I got to get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah. I mean, representation matters. You got to be able to see that doctor in that clinic to know like, oh yes, I can also do this. You have to hear someone like Richie Havens or maybe Bill Withers to be like, oh yeah, I can take my guitar, be a folk musician and be black, but like not enough people somehow got to be recognized, you know, in time in a way. Because yeah, that, I mean, I think I was pa- passed, passed overall. I wasn't trying to do that, but I looked like the music would have gotten to somebody. I think people are beginning to put my music together, which is kind of nice. Uh, and I've recorded all, if you listen to my three CDs on uh, Capitol, I've covered a whole range of music. Uh, recorded some Hugh Presswood music, recorded Bill Anderson, Tips of My Fingers, you know, and, and uh, so... A lot of a lot of great music that I was able to get my hands on and record, and coupled with my own stuff, I think. But I'm I'm really happy with the with the beneath the, the uh, Beyond the Willow Tree album because that that was the beginning. That was the first my very first recording. You have a song called uh, "You Do My Heart Good," um, <laughs> right. which which actually charted. You know, um, when you heard your voice like on the radio when you heard it sort of being played around sort of like a garth brooks or a uh marty stewart record did it feel surreal was did it feel like oh yeah i i just couldn't believe you know i at the time i would just close my eyes and said i don't believe this you know like somebody's playing it on the radio or in the car or even see the videos come up on on cmt and it was a it was a long you know it was a long journey i mean and I was just, you know, was not going to let a moment go by, but I was, it blew my mind, actually. You constant as the stars that shine. You put sparkle in these eyes of mine. I see the world in a whole new light. Everything is beautiful with you by my side, you. My heart good You make love Feel like it should Anyone can see by the way I look You do my heart good Of course you experienced the uh, 92 LA riots after Rodney King was beaten up and then obviously the OJ Simpson trial When you see stuff like George Floyd now does it feel like deja vu over and over again? Does it feel like one more small step forward or does it feel like there needs to be so much more done before there's an actual step forward? Oh yeah. We, you have to constantly fight racism on a daily basis. I mean, the, 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 the South really never lost the war. (laughs) They, they seem to regroup. You know, every now and then they'll come back as the Klan and they come back in different uh, political parties and stuff like that. So there's always that group. They, they really never, never give up. And you have to just get more people. And it can't be just only blacks fighting this. It has to be whites and blacks and, you know, and any colors in between, because that's that's. um very detrimental to the future generations. I mean, you keep you can't keep this up. You cannot keep this up, and you can't. We we can't promise our kids that 
you know, yeah, you you can be anything you want to be and life is fair and, and tolerate. And I think the biggest problem is when people ignore or don't say anything because it doesn't affect them mm. you know, directly. The, that's the most dangerous crowd of people who just see it and say, you know, it's not right, but don't do anything to stop it. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in this, uh, when we had that Black Lives Matter uh, protests across the country after uh, George Floyd. The interesting thing about that thing was that there was many white kids in that in those rallies as blacks. And it was the first time you had seen that, mm-hmm. and it went on for days and for months, you know. And so people join in. So we're not going to let our children grow up in a world, you know, like that. Yeah, I mean, I was in those marches and right down hollywood boulevard it was like we're marching right down hollywood boulevard with the the you know the stars and the walk of fame and uh you know the cops are shooting tear gas at people i mean it's like it's like this bizarre again like like you feel like you're in a movie that you watched you know from your parents day you know when they would march against the vietnam war or across the pettus bridge with martin luther king it's like you have to keep marching it's like it's like you have to keep doing it yeah. People forget, you know, and and I think music now has gotten so apolitical that it's lost the knife's edge to make a difference a lot of times. Right um, now, some people are really speaking out, but most people, especially in country music or mainstream music, wouldn't dare to offend a part of their audience that might uh, be pulled away by a political message and it's just cowardice in my mind a lot yeah, of times yeah you know? that's true i the late the latest song i wrote uh was a song called buffalo mm. and and i have to send that one to you uh i wrote that in response to that the killing the right. gunning down these 10 people i wrote a song called buffalo and i actually got a letter from the mayor of buffalo thanking me for the song but you know something comes up i'll get my pen out <laughs> right i'm not singing it but i wrote the song there's another fellow singing it but but uh, i thought some need to be said about that yeah i mean it's hard sometimes as uh, a band leader myself and we have a uh, horn section it's a big fun soul funky sound but then we we go into these more harmony folk songs that can be more hushed and, and, and quiet and sad. And um, sometimes the, the dynamic range is so great that it throws people off. Uh, we have this song that we started doing. That's mostly a duet about the overturning of Roe v. Wade and, and women wow. struggling to find a place to, you know, basically be treated like human beings and make their own choice. And, we play that in the middle of a set sometimes and the air just like goes out of the room <laughs> sometimes in a good way. Sometimes it's like, well, how do we even recover from that? Okay. Here's a love song, you know? Um, and I struggle with the idea of like when to insert my opinion into a set um, because I've long, you know, gone past the point where I'm not going to speak up about stuff. I probably speak up too much about stuff, but if I don't do it, who's going to do it? You know, a lot of people, exactly. even in the Americana folk world right now, don't do a damn thing to say, you know, what's happening with the Supreme Court, with uh, violence against, you know, Asian folks and gay folks and black folks and trans folks. It's like no one says a damn thing. They just, you know, write another song about 
falling in love and getting drunk and you know well uh, that was one of the things about you know financing your own music and doing your own music you determine what you put out <laughs> you know which, right. which was good I was like no don't record that no I, i'm recording this and and uh if some if somebody want to listen to it they'll hear it now i i still believe also that the most effective <laughs> type song even if it's political still has to be a good song it has to have a hook yes, and yes um, yeah, you know you have a, a great cover of Dylan's with God on our side, right? Yes, yes. And again, it's like that's almost slam poetry building and building and building with God on our side being this acidic yes. barb that keeps hitting you, you know? Um, and that's always, always the hardest thing to reconcile in this country is that the folks who are taking away women's rights are saying, well, that's God's will. God doesn't want you to have the choice. Right. And that's, how do you argue with that? So it's it's like an impossible argument. But that, yeah, that's one of the songs that, that I I heard from Bob Dylan. And I was just like, God, because, you know, we, as blacks, I mean, we fought in every war that, that there is, that they would let us fight in. And yet when you came back, you know, you couldn't, couldn't eat at a restaurant you couldn't do that so i was very much uh, i wasn't anti-war but i'm saying you're using god as an excuse to do this I mean, you know, which god are you talking about and, and i thought that song was very uh, significant with god on his side oh the spanish american war had his day and the Civil War too was soon laid away. And the names of the heroes I was taught to memorize. With the guns in their hands and God on their I, I love folks like you that have real history that they've seen and created themselves. You know, most of us, uh, you know, quote unquote, young folks, we're still trying to figure it out. <laughs> so it's great to talk to you. Thank you, sir. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. And accept it with pride. For you never ask questions. God's on your side Now World War II It came to an end We forgave the Germans yeah, And called them our friends Though they'd killed six million In the ovens they died the Germans now too long have gone on this side. There he goes, Cleve Francis, everybody. Uh, big thanks to him for uh, getting on the line and sharing his history with me. Um, this compilation record, Beyond the Willow Tree, uh, you can check it out online. It was put out by uh, Foraged Sounds. 21 songs. 
are on here. Some really beautiful stuff, as you can hear. Um, the Ballad of Martin Luther King is really moving, but also amazing covers uh, of Dylan, as you're hearing, Joni Mitchell. Uh, so many folks that really were being heard for the first time right as he was recording it as a young man. And you can check out his country stuff, which is really fun, too, on his website, clevefrancis.com. I apologize for my rough voice right now. Um, I lost it a couple weeks ago singing up in the mountains in Utah, and it has not come back. It's kind of scary for me, um, kind of like losing a superpower out of nowhere. And I saw a doctor about it. Uh, looks like I'm on the mend. But uh, Dust Bowl Revival will be heading to Colorado next week, and uh, I will be singing the best I can with the crew blasting behind me at their very best. Uh, we're playing in Colorado Springs on the 22nd, of February, and then going to Fort Collins, and a big show in Denver on Friday the 24th at the Bluebird Theater, always wanted to play there, and finishing up in Steamboat Springs at the Strings Music Pavilion. If you've lasted this long on the episode, you must be a true champion, and true champions can donate to this show to keep us going on the show page on iTunes, you can see that there's a red circle link to donate. It really helps make this possible. If you want to hear the music that I am falling in love with each week, well, I have a new radio show on 88.5 FM, The SoCal Sound, here in L.A. Yes, 7 a.m. on Saturdays. It's called the Sway Out West Radio Hour, and you can hear it from anywhere online. That's it for me, folks. The show on the road, as always, is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Zach Lubitin, and we are a part of the BGS Podcast Network. Stay safe, turn that music up nice and loud, and we'll see you in a couple weeks with more episodes. I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts.